The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. So I want to switch gears for a minute here um, before Justin comes to speak to you. Those of you who know me know that uh, saying I'm a quiet person is a bit of an understatement. Um, so having this opportunity to talk to all of you is a daunting responsibility. Um, I wanted to say something that would speak into each of your lives and be impactful. Um, but that's hard because you're all individuals, you all have different experiences, um, different goals, different struggles. Um, so it would be hard for me to say something that's going to speak to each of you. And to be honest, I'm really not qualified to do that. So what do I say? Well, we have something that unites us. And that's salvation through Christ and a hope of heaven. Um, and I want to spend this time to remind you of that salvation, encourage you, and help you to live like it's true. Um, I've been reading recently uh, about the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they wandered around the desert for about 40 years, following a cloud and a pillar of fire, not really knowing where they were going. Um, they, they had the promise of the promised land. They knew they were going to get there eventually. But they were stuck. Um, we know from reading Exodus how difficult it was for them to remain faithful as they were wandering around. Um, they got discouraged. They doubted. Um, they struggled to remain faithful. And it's hard to carry on uh, when you know things aren't right. Um, when you know you have, you know things should be better, um, but you're not there yet. I'm not sure how being an Israelite worked, but I imagine them waking up in the morning, poking their head outside the tent and thinking, oh great, the cloud moved again. Time to pack everything up and wander around for a couple days. I know some of you feel like you're wandering right now. Um, you're discouraged, overwhelmed. You might not see God's plan in your life. But like the Israelites while they were wandering, we also have a promise. And we have a hope. It's easy to get wrapped in the everyday things of life that need attention, but that's not what we were created for. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that they will be like his glorious body. The Israelites just had a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to follow. We have a book. How many times do we struggle and not turn to God's word? It can guide us through the circumstances we're in. If you're fearful, anxious, angry, if you have conflict, if you're confused or discouraged, turn to it. So I want to leave you um, with this final encouragement. And this was originally a tool used for evangelism. Um, if any of you are taking notes, have a piece of paper. I want you to draw, draw a big circle on it. This is going to be a pie chart. I want you to label that circle human knowledge. So this circle is going to represent everything, all the human knowledge that's been developed, literature, music, discoveries, engineering, everything that humans have created over the last couple thousand years. Since this is a pie chart, we're going to fill in some of it. 
So I want you to fill in of that whole circle of human knowledge, fill in the amount that you have. How much of that knowledge do you have? If you're like me, there's not even really a line to represent that wedge. So is it possible that somewhere outside of that tiny line that you have, that tiny wedge of knowledge, somewhere in that greater circle, there's a good reason for the circumstances that you're in, for what's happening to you. And here's the beautiful part. We know there is a good reason, because God's guiding us. God doesn't just know more and have more wisdom than us, you or me. He knows he has more knowledge, he has more wisdom than that whole circle. That circle is just a small part of what God sees and knows and controls. So your life isn't controlled by the person who has that tiny sliver of knowledge. Your life is controlled by God, whoever sees the universe. And we have a promise that he's working all things and all things for our good. So the next time you feel like you're in the wilderness, take a step back, pause, remember who's in control. Remember the promise you have and praise him. You have a promised land, you have a God who loves you and is drawing you to himself. I'm going to turn it over to Justin. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. So, to be honest, I've been kind of looking forward to preach from this. This is a pretty nice pulpit. Uh, Toss told me I have to make a comment about the cup holder here. It's pretty legit. Kind of sad I don't have any water so I can utilize it. But all righty. So, um, the passage we're going to be looking at today comes in Matthew chapter 7. It's going to be verses 24 to 27 that we're looking at. So it's Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. I'm going to go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer. Father God, you are amazing. You are incredible. You are far more beautiful than anything we could ever possibly fathom. I thank you for this Thanksgiving, Lord, to just have a time to reflect on being thankful for all the things you've blessed us with, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we are thankful most for the gospel, God, that we are thankful for you and what you did for us, God. I pray that you be with me as I preach the message that you put on my heart, God. I pray that I just get out of the way and that you just communicate whatever you want to say, Lord. I thank you, Father, and I pray your will be done in all things. In your precious name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so James, in James chapter 4, verse 14, asks a profound question. And the question he asked is this, what is your life? Now, the context of him asking this question as he's speaking to merchants who are kind of plotting out what they're going to do. They're saying, basically, we're going to go to this town. We're going to make money here and stay here for a year. Then we're going to move and go on to this next place. And James is talking to them, and he says, what is your life? And he answers his own question, saying, for you are a mist that is here for a little while and then vanishes. James answers the merchants by reminding them that their life is short and that it will come to an end. So when we realize this, we have to ask ourselves, how have I been living my life? In the passage we're going to be looking at today, Jesus gives a parable, ending his Sermon on the Mount, that prompts us to ask an even more profound and fundamental question. What is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation of your life? So this passage takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a 
give some context, the Sermon on the Mount, there's many views on what it is. We don't really have enough time to get into them. So the view I hold, which is the view that most people hold, is that Jesus is giving this practical ethic for how his disciples are to live. So this is instructions for those who say they follow Christ, how they are to live their life. And it starts in Matthew. Jesus starts with this uh, introduction to the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to give instructions for how citizens of that kingdom are to live. And then he goes on, that continues all the way to Matthew 7, verse 15, where he starts to conclude his sermon in 15 to 20, uh, warning of false teachers. And then in uh, 21 to 23, warning of false disciples. And then comes the passage that we're looking at this morning. This is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So now there's some elements in this passage that we have to explain in order to understand it. So there's the wise man, the foolish man, there's the rock, there's the sand, there's the houses, and there's the rain, the floods, the winds, which I'm just going to call the storm, because that's what it's describing there is a storm. So first let's talk about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man is the true disciple of Christ. This is one who is truly a Christian, one who actually is a Christian. And the foolish man is a false disciple of Christ. And it's important to see that he's not an atheist. He's not somebody that uh, has another religion, like a Buddhist or a Hindu or anything like that. He is a false disciple of Christ. So he's somebody that thinks he actually is a Christian, but is not. He's not actually a Christian. So now we have to ask ourselves, what is the distinguishing factor between these two? Because on the surface, they'll both look like Christians. They both have heard the word of God, but what distinguishes them is only one of them does what the word of God teaches them. Only one of them actually submits to authority of the word of God, and that is the wise man. The foolish man does not. Now, you see, this is the foolish man we kind of relate because this is kind of this concept that we, we have in our own culture, that we can believe something, but that belief doesn't actually drive us to an action, that we can feel something, but that feeling doesn't actually make us do something. And we do this in many things, but the biggest thing that we do this in is in love. So spouses can disrespect one another, treat each other like garbage, even cheat on one another, but yet come home, look each other in the eyes, and say, I love you. There's also children who can completely disobey their parents, have no regard for the rules or anything like that, may even talk horribly about their parents, yet they feel something for their parents, so they say, oh, I love my parents. Then we have friends. Friends can gossip about one another, treat each other like garbage, disrespect them, and yet, because we feel something for our friend, we say, I love you. So we've taken this false belief of love, and we brought this into our walk with God. We tell God that I feel something for you. I can deny you in the complete way I live my life. I can live my life completely away from you, but I feel love for you, so therefore I love you. The thing is... God doesn't think like that. Jesus doesn't think like that. Jesus, in John 14, 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this isn't a might be, like you might keep my commandments. This isn't maybe you'll keep my commandments. This isn't Jesus saying, look, bro, you prayed a prayer, you're a Christian, so it'd be kind of better for your life if you actually listen to me. No, Jesus doesn't say that. 
He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, it's important to note as well, we have a sin nature. None of us are going to be able to perfectly keep the Lord's commandments. But the thing is, though we sin, it's not that we sin that shows where our heart is. It's what do we do after we sin? So do we fall and we stay there and feel nothing? It's like, yeah, I sinned, but you know, I'm covered in his blood. I'm forgiven. Is that what we do? Or do we mourn and beg God for forgiveness and get back up and start running back after him? And then we repent of our sin again, turn to him, we fall, and we get back up and keep running after him. This is what the cycle of a true believer is, is that when we sin, we don't stay there. We get back up and we start following God again. And this is also the wise man. It's also important to note that the wise man is not a legalist. He's not trying to earn his righteousness or anything because he's following what the Bible says or doing what Christ commands. It's not what he's doing. This is a man who truly loves the Lord. His love for God is not just a feeling. It's what compels him to keep God's commandments. So it's important to note here, too, that this is not a workspace salvation type of thing. But it's because we have faith in God, we have faith in him, and we show our faith by actually obeying him. We love God, and we show our love by actually obeying him. This is what the wise man does. Then there's the foolish man, somebody that goes to church. They even have his hands real high, worshiping real loud, everything like that. You got somebody that knows the Bible, somebody that may even know theology. Probably tell you what the doctrine of impassibility is, tell you what your doctrine of simplicity is, all that. Probably pass a theology test. Somebody that may even say that they believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is. But yet, in the way they live their life, they completely deny any belief in God. There's somebody that does not mourn over their sin. Instead, they continue in it. They think it's fine. They think it's fine for them to continue in sin. They know all the stuff. They may even believe that they prayed a prayer, but there's no heart change. This person is not changed at all. And yet, they think they are saved. This is the man that Jesus talks about in verses 21 to 23. Somebody that when he meets Jesus, he says, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is this person. They deceive themselves because they hold to a faith that is absent of obedience. Jesus is not our Lord if we do not obey his commands. Kevin DeYoung put it this way. The rules of a relationship define that relationship. Jesus defined the rules of our relationship with him because he says that if you actually love me, you will actually do what I tell you to do. Jesus is the one that defines us. We don't define it. We have this idea that we can kind of define the relationships we're in. No, I love Jesus because I say I love Jesus and I feel a feeling for him. It's not what Jesus said at all. That's pride, bro. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's exactly what he says. So now this takes us to the big difference between the fool and the wise man. And that's the foundation that they built their house on. The wise man built his house on the rock. Now, the rock is Christ. Jesus is the rock. And the foolish man built his house on the sand. And the sand, simple, anything other than Christ. So there's Christ, there's anything other than Christ. That's it. There, there isn't some sort of midway foundation or anything like that. It's either Jesus or not that you build your foundation on, that your foundation is, is Jesus or not. Friends, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has recorded in John 14, 6, says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
That's it. That's Jesus standing in the face offensively of any other foundation or any other religion. He's saying, I'm the only way, bro. There's no other way besides me. That's it. There's no other way to earn your way to heaven. It's exactly what Christ is saying. <clears throat> now this takes us to the house. Both men build a house. And the house is their lives. Now let's think back to the question I asked in the beginning of this message. What is the foundation of your life? What have you built your life on? Is it Christ or is it something else? Because the truth of the matter is, is that the storm is coming. And the storm in this parable is final judgment. It's judgment. And the only people that will stand are those who have built their life on Christ. The wise man that built his house on the rock is the one that stands during the storm. The foolish man that built his house on the sand. This is the false disciple that built his house on anything other than Christ. When judgment comes, he will fall, and great will be the fall of it. We cannot live a life with anything else at the center but Christ and expect to go to heaven. If we make anything else the center of our life that isn't Jesus Christ, we cannot expect that we're going to heaven. Jesus is the only way. While we are living in rebellion against God, God himself came down in the person of Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a life that we should have lived, a perfect life in complete obedience to God, never sinned once, and then went to the cross, an innocent man going to the cross, paying the penalty for sinners that deserved to die. And God said no, out of his love, he sent his son to die, taking the penalty for it. And though Jesus died, that's not the end of the story. Three days later, three days later, he rose from the dead. He came back to life, proving he was exactly who he said he was. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, proved he was exactly who he said he was. And even appeared to over 500 people, proving he's not Muhammad, who claims that he went up to heaven. Can't verify that because he went spiritually. No, Jesus said he would physically rise from the dead, and that's exactly what he did. And he appeared to over 500 people, proving that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. We do not serve a God that is not real. We don't serve a God that lies to us. We don't serve a God that just says, oh, just, just trust that I did this. No, he proved the fact that he did this. He proved it. So again, what is the foundation of your life? What have you made the foundation of your life? Now, most of the people in this room are college students. I myself am a college student. Wait until May, get to graduate. Awesome, cannot wait. <laughs> So it's easy being a college student kind of thinking that life hasn't started yet because we're kind of in this stage where we're kind of trying to start our life. We're working towards graduation, trying to think what we're going to do afterwards. But the truth of the matter is it has started already. I mean, we're alive. So it shows our life has started already. So don't wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised at all. There's not a promise that I'm going to graduate in May at all. It's not a promise that we're going to see tomorrow or anything like that. So today, live for Christ today. Live for Christ today. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you have not turned to him, turn to him. He's waiting with open arms. He will not reject anybody that comes to him. And if you've reflected on yourself thinking, oh, I've not been living the life I should, I should have been living. I've not been living the way I should have been living. Come to him. His arms are wide open. He won't reject anybody that comes to him. What is the foundation of your life? 
This is a passage that, is, that kind of resonates with me because from age 7 until age 21, I thought I was saved. I, I, I mean, I, I, I talked to talk. I could talk Bible with people. I could uh, quote scripture. I used to even teach a children's uh, Sunday school class occasionally. You would have asked me. I would have been like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. I'm good. I'm sick. I'm a fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. But I completely denied Christ in the way I lived my life. I was an alcoholic. I used to smoke weed. I was having sex. I was not a Christian at all. I thought I was because I prayed a prayer, but I denied Christ in the way that I lived my life. Until November 24th, 2014. That was four years ago this past Saturday. God literally brought me to my knees. I was drunk. I was bawling my eyes out. And I said, Jesus, I'm done fighting you. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. I was in a dark place. I used to pray to God to kill me because I didn't think I was going to be anything in life. But God brought me to him. And I've been walking faithfully with the Lord since that day. And it's not been, it's not been easy. It's not, we don't become sinless once we get saved. But our God loves us. And again, it's not the fact that you sin that shows where your heart is. Is what do you do after you sin? Do you fall and do you stay there? Do you let that battle that you lost with sin control you and win the war? Or you just stay there and just like, you know what? I can't do anything. Anyways, I'm saved. I'm good. Or do you mourn over the fact that you just disobeyed the one that you truly love? And do you get back up and start booking it back after him? <clears throat> My prayer for everyone in this room is that you love Jesus more than anything in this entire universe. There is nothing more beautiful, incredible, magnificent than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I got engaged recently this summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is definitely a blessing, but I will tell you this right now. Though I love my fiance more than I can put in words, Jesus is a million times more beautiful than her. My mom is in the audience. I love my mom more than I can put in words as well. Jesus is more beautiful than my mother. Jesus is more beautiful than anything this world has to offer, any person that God has brought into your life. Jesus is more beautiful, more incredible than them. Jesus is everything. So I ask you again, what is your life? For you are a mist, appears for a little while, and you vanish. What will you do with the life that God has given you? What will you make the foundation of your life? Are you going to live your life for Christ, make him the center of your life, submit yourself to the word of God, not tell the word of God what it says, but let it tell you what to believe, submit yourself to it, or are you going to put anything else as your foundation? We can do this easily with ourselves. A lot of times we can read the Bible, don't like what it says, and we ignore it. It's one way that we're not putting Christ our foundation, because we put that around us. We make ourselves the foundation of our life. The truth of the matter is, this is God's word. There's a lot of stuff that we like to say because uh, it's kind of like Christian rhetoric. We like saying it just because as a Christian, we have to say it. So we have to say the Bible is God's word. But do you live like it's actually God's word? Do you submit to this? Like this is the very word of God, that every single command here is completely inerrant and that we actually have to do it. Or do you look at it as some book of suggestions where it's like, well, you know, I like this, don't like that. I like this one, don't like this one. How do you view the word of God? Because how you view the word of God determines where your heart is as well. 
if you see this as the sword that it says it is, and it pierces you, and conforms you more into the image of Christ, you're in a good spot. But if you see this as something to be ignored, whether it be in our worship, we become prideful and tell God how we worship him, instead of letting him tell us how we ought to worship him. Kind of forget that God is a holy God. You read the book of Leviticus, it'll shine real quick. God is holy. He makes the rules, not us. So what is the foundation of your life? I pray for every one of you. I love every one of you. God has brought all of you in here. And I pray that you just get to dedicate your life to him. You make Jesus the very treasure of your being. I'm going to close this out in prayer, and Hushai is going to come up and lead us in some worship. God bless you guys. Father, you are incredible. I love you so much, Lord. You are the most amazing thing in this entire universe. I pray that you work in the hearts of everybody here. Help us to cherish you more than anything in this entire universe, God. Help us to continue to just strive to submit to your word and to love you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for another day. I thank you for everyone here. And I pray that your will be done in all things. Christ's name I pray. Amen.